It's, uh, it's good to see you this morning. Glad to have everybody here. Noticing that, the, that when, in the summer when it's down just a little bit, you noticing this, that the, that the back section's on the sides. Like they've got like parties going on back there or something. Like, like there's a lot of people in those sections. Passing notes. Passing notes. And probably all kinds of stuff back like there going on. about our haircuts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. We won't even talk about haircuts. <laughs> it's uh, it's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, I'm uh, I'm glad to glad to worship with you guys, and we're glad that you're here with us. Um, uh, this uh, this passage this morning, uh, really, just uh, I don't know. I it, I think it's perfectly. It's always perfectly timed. It's always God's timing. Uh, I'm, I'm forever reminded of that. I'm even more reminded of it. Uh, well, I'm, I'm more reminded today than some days. I'll put it that way. Uh, where you know, some days, uh, you know, it, it just is what it is. But uh, you know, today, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on my way to church, and uh, I'm getting text messages from someone that I care very much about, somebody's part of our church, who has just they've had enough, and they want it. They just want to give up. You know, and, and we've been there. You know, most of us have been there. And, 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 and when you're on the other side of it, you realize it's a moment. You know, you realize that, the, that it's, that's, not, that's not the rest of your life. It's a moment right now in life. But you got to get through it. You have to endure. And, 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 and the passage that we're, that we're sharing today uh, in together is, uh, of course, out of Mark. We're, we're walking through Mark together. Um, and... Uh, you know, in, in this passage, I mean, Jesus comes with, uh, with some things that I think are just perfect uh, for that thought. And, and you may not be there today. You may, be, you may just be, you know, loving life right now. Maybe you just came from the lake and you blew up, you know, everything in the past few days or whatever with some boom booms and all that kind of stuff or whatever, and that's great. And uh, I hope, hope you've been able to do that. We're gonna, our microchurch is going to blow some stuff up tonight uh, because Cheatham County uh, you know, it doesn't have to be 4th of July, it just has to be in the window, right? You know, and so, uh, but uh, yeah, no, uh, but, um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I, even, even if that's not where you are today, I promise you this passage it will, speak, will speak to you. It, I've just, I've had an enormous amount of response actually just from uh, the first service this morning. And, uh, uh, and, and, it's, and believe me, it's the Lord, it's not me. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I just pray that he would continue to speak uh, to our hearts and lead us and show us what he what he has for us in his word. In fact, if you've got your Bible and you want to go ahead and get it out, we're going to Mark chapter 13. If you do not have a Bible, we have ushers with Bibles. They will give you one if you throw your hand in the air, wave it like you just don't care, and uh, uh, let them get you one. Uh, and uh, you know, if you just need to borrow it, that's fine too. But we're going to Mark 13. We'd love for you to be able to follow along uh, in scripture with us and be able to see uh, what God is saying through his word. And uh, to, to kind of just pick up, you know, where we've been, you know, last week we talked about, you know, well, last few weeks we've been talking through, you know, all these things that Jesus has been teaching as we've gotten back into the book of Mark. Uh, we uh, started Mark, I think, March of last year, uh, and we're getting close. It's, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not far from being finished here, uh, but uh, before we get there, you know, I think, I think just to kind of keep, again, our mind with, you know, where we are in Scripture, you know, Jesus at this point is very close to the cross. 
I mean, it's, it's the week of, you know, his crucifixion. We're in that week. You know, ever since the triumphant entry, you know, and all that stuff, I mean, it's, it's that week. It's all going to happen right then and there. And so we're in a moment here where Jesus is in Jerusalem, and they're at the temple, and he's been teaching about some things. And if you were with us last week, then, then you, you, know, heard, you heard some of the things he talked about. In fact, you saw where uh, the week before that where they quit asking questions because uh, Jesus, the answers that Jesus was throwing back at them. And it was, of course, all these guys trying to catch Jesus you know, with something that they could like, use against him to come get him you know, and kill him kind of thing. And, uh, and so Jesus, in this moment you know, is just coming off of teaching through several things. And the last of which, if you remember, he talked about the widow. And he talked about, and then he's sitting at the temple and he just watched this widow give her only two coins. You know, and, and this whole, I mean, just an, an amazing, an amazing thing. And he talks about that and teaches through that and just how, how that that's greater than any offering that was given and all this kind of stuff. And so we're still there. We're, we're still at the temple, okay? And that's where we're picking up today to kind of kind of give us a little bit of a you know, background of where we've been and, and where we're going here. But uh, Matthew, let's just go ahead and read Matthew 13, uh, verse 1. And before I even get into this, uh, you know, one of the things that I spend a lot of, you know, a lot of Sundays is I'm getting ready to preach. One of the things that I pray personally, just, you know, just, I, you know, while I'm singing, kind of getting ready to do this and just trying to clear my head because sometimes there's like a million things going on. Today's been no different, uh, you know, and um, one of the things that I, I just, I was, I was praying this morning and as I was thinking about my friend who was texting me this morning and all this other stuff going on and I just, and I was praying this passage out of Psalms, which is create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And, 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 I, and as I prayed that today, I was reminded, due to my friend, due to this passage, this reminder that I, I need to constantly be reminded that I need God to renew my steadfastness to be able to endure. And, and, and that's, that's where this is, a lot of this is headed today, and, and so we'll, we'll go there. Let's, Matthew 13, I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark, I wrote Matthew in my notes for some reason. I have no idea. I did this the first verse. I kept saying Matthew, and they kept going, Mark, Mark. It was like Clay Norman. He's like, Mark. I was like, all right, I get it. It's Mark. Mark 13, verse 1. Let's, let's read this together. It says this. It says, and as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This passage is, it's a famous passage as far as, you know, in Christendom especially, but I think in general, I think a lot of people in the world probably know about this passage, where Jesus makes this claim ahead of time of something that's going to happen. And, and, and you know, to kind of to put ourselves in the place of Jesus here for just a minute here, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's staring down his crucifixion just days away. And, of course, he is going to come back. But, but at this point, he's specifically talking about certain things. And, and I'm thinking, like, 
Jesus is being very pointed, very, very intentional with the things that he's wanting to teach through during this time frame right here, okay? And so Jesus picks to talk about, you know, of course, the, the disciples, they're just like, you know, they're like, you know, hey, guys, you know, whatever. And, you know, and they're wandering around, hey, look at the buildings and all that, isn't that cool and all this kind of stuff. And, and to us, we don't think a whole lot about this because, you know, they're, they're admiring especially the temple in this moment and because and they're, they're at the temple and it's huge, and we're going to get into that in just a second. Uh, so Jesus looks and says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so he predicts, Jesus predicts that the temple is going to be torn down. Okay, big whoop-de-doo right? You know, buildings, buildings get torn down all the time. Buildings burn down all the time. I mean, I just, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, possibilities with that, right? Well, here's the deal. We got, we got to put ourselves in the moment. And to put ourselves in the moment is to realize just how great the temple was. You know, like, I mean, you know, we, we've seen great buildings, whatever. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I, and I don't spend a lot of time like thinking about it, but when I see buildings that were built hundreds of years ago or even thousands of years ago, and I see like how great some of those things are, I mean, it just blows my mind. You know, I mean, like that's long before, you know, Caterpillar, you know, stuff, you know, I'm not talking about the bug, I'm talking about the equipment, you know. I mean, you know, like, you know, this is like, you know, way back in a time where they're like by hand, they're building. Like, how in the world are they doing that? I mean, it's crazy. And this building, this building, the temple, was considered to be one of the great wonders of the world at this point. So to kind of give you a little historical background, you know, you had you had the temple that Solomon built, and you know, and, and he had a you know he had a nice temple. But then Herod, who you know is who we've got you know in play at this point, Herod was known for great buildings, and so when he was going to renovate the temple, it turned into we're going to renovate the temple and kind of like build a bigger one at the same time. And so Herod has built this monster of a temple, this monster of a building. Let me, let me kind of give you just a, just a I wanna, want you to kind of get a little visual here. I don't have any pictures or anything like that. Uh, but here, here, just kind of go with me for a second. Josephus, uh, you know, is uh, this great writer and uh, philosopher, and he predicted, he's predicted things, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, but historically speaking, has, has written all this stuff that we have historically uh, that's unbelievable, uh, just a great great, great amount of knowledge. He talks about how that, this, that the temple in particular is on a piece of ground that is 35 acres, okay? So, because I, I know for us, we're kind of imagining like, you know, we're imagining like some kind of downtown thing and there's the temple on the corner kind of thing. No, 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 no. This is different than that. This is like, there it is on the hill, Okay. You know, there it is up there on, and, and so, and, and in a his fairly historical spot, we don't have time to get into all of that too. Uh, you're welcome to check that out for yourself. But on 35 acres, and it's 150 feet tall. 150 feet tall. Now, if, if you struggle to kind of think about what's 150 feet look like, look, thank you. Well, that's very helpful. <laughs> 15 stories of apparently. Uh, so I'll give you a visual if you can't think about 15 stories. Uh, our building here, 
the building that we're in, as it sets currently, of course, we're about, it's about to extend, uh, but as our building sets right here, <clears throat> the length of it long ways is 150 feet. So think about this building turned up on its end, and that's how tall the temple was. Now, you can imagine just how much bigger it was than it was even tall. Some of the stones that were used in the building of the building were 65 feet long, 11 feet high, and 8 feet wide. 65 feet long, 11 feet tall, and 8 feet wide. I mean, what? I mean, that's like, that's like a train car of stone or something. I mean, that's, it's, it's insane is what it is. Like, how in the world are they moving these stones around? You know? But that's, that's what they built with. And on top of that, they, <laughs> they plated everything they possibly could with gold. Like, real gold. You know? Not like the Fake gold. Remember those commercials where, like, you know, send in your unwanted gold? You remember? <laughs> I, was like, I was always like, who's got unwanted gold? I mean, like, what? That's so weird. Uh, but, you know, and so, but yeah, you know, but real gold, plated with gold, and, and like to the point that, like, parts of the building were literally, like, when you looked at it, if the sun was hitting, hitting it right, it would blind you. Like, you couldn't look at it. And so here's the disciples, and they're having a moment. And by the way, the, the, the building was actually being finished at this moment. Like it wasn't actually completed. The temple hadn't been completed at this point. It had been working on it for like 65 years or something crazy. And, and, and so the building hadn't even been completed, but they're working to try to complete it. And so here's the disciples, and they're walking out of this thing. And, and, you know, and they're like, you know, man, look at, look at, look at, you know, here they are talking, they're talking about, look at the stones and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus is like, well, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Does that change the perspective of the moment a little bit? I think it does. It helps us to kind of see that like in this moment, Jesus isn't making a small claim. It's not like you standing on your deck talking with your neighbor about, I'm not sure if that shed's going to make it through another good storm. You know? We're talking about a building made of stones, and he's saying that there won't be one left on top of the other, that they're all going to be thrown down. And I'm like, I can't throw any of those stones anywhere. This is a massive thing that to them in that moment, I know those disciples are thinking, this is the kind of structure that will last forever, not be torn down. Jesus makes this statement, and he means a little more by it than what one might think, as he often does, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. Let's go on to verse 3. And it says this, and by the way, this is, um, well, I can't even remember what I was going to say there. But let's go verse 3. It says this, it says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? 
So, so the guys are, you know, they're, they're having a moment. And this is Jesus's inner, you know, his inner circle guys, if you, if you didn't notice that. And they're having a moment here where they've kind of pulled Jesus aside and they're like, hey, tell us, you know, since, since we're talking about things to come, since you're feeling generous with knowledge of things that we don't know about that are coming at us, uh, and, you know, can you, can you throw us a little nugget of joy here on something, you know, we've all been wondering about, like, when's, when's the end? Of course, they don't even know what they're really asking. Like, at this point, they, they probably haven't completely understood that Jesus is going to die, although he keeps talking about it. Jesus is going to die. He's going to give his life. He's going to rise again three days later, and then he's going to be here for a short period of time, teach a few more things, and then go live with the Father. And then one day down the road, come back, that Jesus will return. Jesus, in verse 5 it says, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. See that no one leads you astray. Jesus begins to teach them. They've asked two questions, really, by the way. They've asked the question, when, when is the end? When, when's, when's this going to happen? Okay? And then furthermore, he, they're asking, how will we know? Give us the signs. We want to we we be able to see all the things that are kind of coming at us. Jesus doesn't answer, typical of Jesus, uh, if there is typical of Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't answer the way that you might think he would. He doesn't like just completely give them immediately all the things. He starts off with things that to be weary of. And in fact, he starts with, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. Jesus is answering the question, but he wants to say some things about it. He begins with some warnings. You know, don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. In fact, he goes even further more into that. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. You know, I, I don't know if, if, uh, if uh, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, I felt like, uh, I felt like all the time, there was always somebody predicting the end of the world. You know, I don't, it doesn't seem to be quite as often these days. Maybe people are wising up or something. I don't know. Maybe they're just not getting the publicity that they used to or something. You know, because it used to, it used to like, you know, one person who came out of nowhere could come up with, you know, some, you know, uh, you know, hey, we're, you know, prediction of the end of the world thing. And it turned, all of a sudden it turned into like the whole world watching it like a evil Knievel jump or something, you know? And, uh, you know, but you'd, you'd have this date picked out and all this stuff. And it was, you know, it's very reminiscent of Y2K, you know, who, by the way, who made it through Y2K? Anybody here remember Y2K? Any Y2Kers? All you youngins. Let me, let me, let me tell you just a little bit about Y2K because I'm not sure that they're teaching history anymore. Uh, and it, Y2K, uh, Y2K was this thing that happened in 1999 where we all had computers that had like, you know, orange, you know, letters on the screens and stuff, and there weren't pictures and stuff, and if it was, it was made out of letters and looked weird, uh, you know, or whatever. But anyway, uh, you know, computers were, you know, older and more, you know, whatever, and, 
you know, prehistoric. And, and basically, everybody was worried that all the software was going to like implode when it got to 1999 and switched over to the year 2000 because it went 99. And then what would it do? We, we don't know, you know? And a little home alone for you there. We, we, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Are our computers going to explode? And what if all of our information, is it going to be gone? And I mean, people, people went into mass hysteria about this. I'm just telling you, if you didn't make the Y2K, you don't know what you missed. And so, uh, you know, that, that, was, that was Y2K. So, you know, reminiscent of that were all these people, you know, have been in all through the years, you know, not just through the 80s, although the 80s is a great decade, of course. Uh, you know, but all through the years, there's all these people that would, you know, like say, for instance, David Koresh, you know, this guy down in Texas who, who came and he said, I'm Jesus, I'm the Messiah, follow me, you know, the end is here, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and the truth is, is that Jesus right here, he's saying, be careful, be careful not to be led astray by these people. And, and here's the amazing, here's the amazing part for me, Okay. Coming from a biblical perspective on this, which I would think anybody that wants to follow Jesus, if Jesus showed up, would at least kind of know what Jesus says about this. And Jesus says, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And, and, and he's saying, don't follow him. Don't get caught up in that. And, and, and here's... Here's what I think to be true. This is, this is my, my truth, okay? It's not biblical truth. You know the difference. This is uh, First Opinions chapter one of Chris. Um, is that um, I believe that when Jesus comes back, that people that know Jesus and have a relationship with him, and love him and care for him, I don't, I don't think that we'll need anybody to tell us that's Jesus, I don't think that we're. I don't think that we'll need a Facebook post announcing Jesus has made it. He's arrived. He's he's you know he's in he's in Los Angeles right now. He's headed this way. He's you know I don't I don't I don't think I think I think when Jesus comes back, everybody that knows Jesus is going to be like that's Jesus. We will know. The world will change. Everything will change in an instant. But it is amazing. So many people get caught up. And Jesus goes further and warned of this, verse 7. And by the way, you know, he, he, he's, he's you know, alluding to the, the, the false teacher thing, but all, really what he's getting into false messiahs. I mean, we've got false teachers. There's tons of false teachers. I get in these conversations about false teachers all the time. And, and, and also, let me say this, because I've, I've been in gr some great conversations with many of you, even, even as of late, uh, from things that I've said, uh, maybe even a couple months ago or whatever, and brought up some of this stuff. And they're like, well, are you being too harsh to like talk about certain people or whatever? I think we're doing exactly what Paul does in Scripture, where he's warning people. And I think the warnings are justified, and here's why. Do, do I think that some of those guys that are false teachers love Jesus? Yeah, I, I do think that some of them love Jesus. Do I think they do some good things? Yeah, I do. Here's what scares me the most. I think that with false gospels that they teach, they're leading people to trust in things like giving money to receive salvation, and in turn, what they're doing is they're dealing hell. Is that fair enough? 
Like that's my, that's my big, that's my big rub with somebody that's going to be like a false teacher. I'm not naming names. You figure it out on your own, hopefully by, you know, being in the word. But Jesus is making this huge thing of like, don't fall into being led astray. Then verse seven, he goes on, he says, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, don't look for every little thing to be the end. Wars are going to happen. In fact, he says that. He says, this must take place. And then what? But the end is not yet. So instead of answering the question that they've asked with when it's going to happen and what it's going to look like, like what are the signs, the things that Jesus is saying is he's saying, don't take these little things, okay, and jump on them and like constantly be worried about, oh, is this the end? Oh, is this the, oh, is that the end? Oh, is this the, oh, this, this is probably the war that's going to be the end, you know, kind of thing. He's saying, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must, this must take place, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. He goes on. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. These are the beginning of the birth pains. Let me kind of talk to this for just a second. A couple things. Um, this, this passage, by the way, is one of these passages that many people struggle with trying to understand and trying to, you know, because, uh, you know, the truth is that all of us, we want to grip on to like, you know, can we tell, do we have the signs of seeing when the end is, you know, is it close? Is it happening now? Or is it, you know, that kind of, and so for, you know, you know, 2000 years, People have been taking this passage and trying to figure out what in the world is really going on here because in this passage, what we see is we see Jesus talking about some things that many of these things are actually things that you could say happened with the early church in the book of Acts. If you look at the book of Acts, you'll see many of these things, some of that we haven't even talked about yet, so I won't get into that too far, uh, that we're going to hit here in just a second. But we see, you know, and so there's been all this talk of like, you know, is Jesus really speaking specifically to the disciples? And if so, then why didn't Jesus come back when, you know, some of these other things happened? And the truth is, is not all of these things have happened, you know, or, or maybe some of them have happened in instances, but I think that there's a larger amount of these things to happen before he is to come. Jesus speaks to you know, earthquakes in various places. And of course, you know, we've seen earthquakes in the last couple of weeks even, you know, and it's real easy for in those moments, I know even in my head, I'm kind of like, oh, earth, earthquake, oh, okay. You know, what we got, you know, it, all, the truth is, is that all these things, all these things are parts of things that we see happening in history. And Jesus says this, he says, of course, he just said, do not be alarmed. You know, these things must take place, but the end is not yet. And then in the same you know, right after that, he says, you know, uh, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, the earthquakes in various places, there will be famines, 
These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, why in the world did he use this terminology with the birth pains? Because I know some of you that are like mamas, you're like, you know, oh, I could have I done without thinking about the birth pains today. Like, thanks for that, you know? But, but here's, so here's the truth of that. God's people up to this point had actually been using that as a metaphor for talking about the things that we would suffer through before Jesus would, you know, Jesus would travel for them when the end would come, you know. And what they were looking for was, the, was that God would usher in a new world, which is what they should be looking for. So, suffering, suffering. And so they referred to all of these things that we would go through or they would go through in life as the birth pains, the beginning. And so Jesus is actually reusing their language here, their metaphor here, to say, hey, don't be alarmed. This stuff's going to happen. And yes, some of it is the beginning of that, but again, don't be alarmed. But then in verse 9, the very next verse, then Jesus says this. He says, but be on your guard. Be on your guard. He says, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. The gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. I love this. I love that Jesus has given us this. I love that Jesus has given us this. In, in fact, uh, I'll go ahead and, and even before I get to the very end of the passage here, here's, here's thematically what I see Jesus doing in this passage. And I hope you see it too, because I know that everybody gets so concerned about like end times and when's Jesus coming back and you know, the, the, the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in, all this stuff, and when's it going to happen, what we're going to do, and what's it going to look like, and what we got to go through, and all this kind of stuff. And really, at the end of the day, this passage is, you know, even, even still he's saying, be on your guard. Jesus is also saying at the same time, take a chill pill, right? Take a chill pill. He's like, don't be so worried about this. Don't be so worried about this. You got stuff that I've given you to do right now. You got the you've got the ministry that you've been called to right now. Whatever that looks like, your family, your church ministry, your your community ministry that that we as the church at large together minister together love on people that they see Jesus through us is so obviously so very important. And it's so easy to get so caught up in these things. And we and we and, and maybe you've been there, maybe you know somebody that's been there before. You know, folks folks get so easily caught up. And I know people that like that's all they want to study is like end time stuff. And I'm all about eschatology and learning more about it and all that stuff. And, and I'll I'll be the first to say I'm not the expert on it. Uh, me and my guys were actually talking about it. We're going through the book of Revelation right now on Tuesday nights in the basement. Uh, we were talking about it this week, even, uh, and just different viewpoints and all this kind of stuff. And I, and it's and it's fun to study that stuff. And, and it's great to have some understanding of it. But at the end of the day, beyond studying, beyond trying to understand, we have to be okay with kind of going, you know what? 
probably not going to have every single question answered. There comes a point where we trust in the Lord that there's things that we just don't completely understand. Go read Revelation and try to explain all that to me. I would love for you to do that, you know? I got a friend that loves, you know, years ago, he loved to do it with like the, the movie The Matrix, you know? And it would, and he had all this stuff. I mean, it was crazy. I wouldn't get into that. <laughs> in the middle of that's verse 10. In the middle of that's verse 10. You see what verse 10 says? And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Folks, this is why it is so important for missions abroad to be important to us in Pleasant View, Tennessee. This passage is a reminder that we, we have a calling to take the gospel out further than right here. Obviously, we're to take the gospel here too. It's a both and. And for us to understand that there is a piece of the puzzle that Jesus himself gives us here. He doesn't give a lot of pieces of the puzzle here. I hope you see that. And by the way, we'll continue talking about this for the next week or two, you know, as, as this passage continues on, and we're not going that much further here today with it uh, because we can't time-wise. Um, but as we look at that, we're thinking about that, you think about like people groups around the world who have not heard the gospel. One of the things that Jesus gives us is what he says here, that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. You know, the truth is, is I, I really believe that this has been expedited with, you know, the internet. You know, like Al Gore invented it or whatever. You know, that's a joke. Come on. <laughs> Al Gore jokes. They never, never fail, right? And so, uh, you know, but uh, yeah. And, and, you know, with that being said, with technology and media and all the things that we have, I mean, whereas long before, you know, it would take forever to get something to certain parts of the world. And of course, the truth is, is there are still so many indigenous people, groups who live in other places that, that we have not gotten the gospel to yet. But it's coming. It's coming. There's people out there that are doing it. Maybe God, maybe God will call one of you, maybe, maybe you right now listening to this, you're like, maybe I'm supposed to be a part of that. And then in verse 11, Jesus comes back to this whole idea that you might be delivered over to councils and beaten in synagogues and stand before the governors and the kings to bear witness before them. And then in verse 11, he says, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. Now, anybody that does public speaking or will go to the antithesis of that uh, is the, the person who is scared to death of public speaking. And maybe that's you. And I love bringing those types of people up front and everybody, like, how are you doing? Tell us in under, like, they want to melt into the floor. I love it. It's so fun. Uh, but either way, if you had to say something to a group of people, and especially... If your life's on the line and you're going on trial, you especially with those things want to kind of know what you're going to say, right? You're like thinking this through. And Jesus says here, you're going to be put on trial for my sake. And when you are, he says, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. Well, that sounds crazy. 
until you hear the rest of it. And then he says, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Man, this is, and, and, and I, I know stuff like this kind of freaks people out. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't even, I don't even want to think about like getting in front of people, not knowing what I'm going to say. But, but Jesus is saying, look, the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and he's going to give you the words to say. This isn't something you can prepare for. It's going to be something that happens. And when it happens, you've got to roll with it and just let God lead you. That's huge for us. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why it's so huge for us. It's this reminder that we're not doing this alone. Jesus isn't talking about having picnics. He's not saying, oh, you know, yeah, the new kingdom will come in when we have some good picnics. No, he says, when you're standing on trial for my sake and facing death, probably, being beaten in the synagogues. I mean, I mean, what's the thought of like the potential of like that one day that some of the people of 24 Church might be in this room being beaten by the government for standing for Jesus? I mean, that sounds crazy to us, but the, but the truth is also that we know that like because of what we believe in following Scripture, that there are aspects of Scripture that are not really popular with the mainstream culture. And increasingly all the time, we see that the free speech right we have is being infringed upon in some ways. And the truth is, is and we want the world to know the gospel. We want them to know what Christ has done. And at the same time, we have to know that there may be a day and probably is because Jesus says it. Of course, you know, and this is where the rub is. This is where the arguments start to happen. Of like, oh, this is talking about Acts. This is, you know, the things that we saw in the early church of Acts. This doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to happen again. I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. The Olivet Discourse is what this passage is referred to, by the way. And it has split people and caused arguments and all kinds of stuff, which, by the way, please don't make it about arguments. It's not about that. And it goes on, and it says this in verse 12, and brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. That's hard to believe. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. This isn't Peter, James, John telling us this. This is Jesus saying, you will be hated all for my name's sake. And yes, the disciples went through that. And yes, we see that in Acts. And yes, I believe that we will see it again. And then Jesus finishes with this, at least this, this piece. It goes on, but this is where we stop. It says, but the one who endures till the end will be saved but the one who endures till the end will be saved. Renew the steadfastness within me. That's the prayer we got to pray. We have to ask God to help us to endure. 
Because the truth is, is that this life is full of suffering. If you don't believe me, I can take you and introduce you to a whole bunch of people right now. I got like three couples that are debating divorce. Uh, you know, many others that have lost people. I mean, just all kinds of stuff going on. People, people, people that can't pay their bills. I mean, you just name, name your flavor. I mean, and you're probably sitting here right now and you're like, you know, I'm going through some stuff right now. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. Listen, listen, I'm going to tell you what to do. Are you ready for it? It's real simple. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, but lean into Him. And what did he say? He said, do not be alarmed. He said, be on your guard. He said, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say. And here's what I see Jesus over and over through this passage really saying, if you want to come up with a theme, it's not even like, hey, I'm going to give you the 10 things to look for for the end times. It's Jesus saying, again, take a chill pill, be faithful, stand, stand, stand in the word, okay? Be on your guard and endure. 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 Jesus is more concerned that his followers keep on. That we keep on. And you know what Satan's most concerned with, right? You know what? I mean, like, please tell me that you know. Please tell me that you know what Satan is most concerned with because it's real simple. It's the opposite. He wants to freeze us in our tracks. Satan wants to, he wants to stop us in our tracks by using these things in this life, these moments that are moments. They're not our life. They're moments of suffering or whatever it is that we would give up on the kingdom of God. We can't do that. We can't do that. And, 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 you know, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know, well, I've been through a lot. I think I never, you know, I never get there or whatever. But I'm telling you, like, you know, it seems simple enough. But the truth is, is that we all know some who have left the faith. There are people that I love dearly who have left the faith. And you say, you know, there's all kinds of scripture about that. You know, do they really know the Lord or whatever? And the truth is, Jesus, what Jesus say? He says, he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And I think what Jesus is saying there is that he's also, you know, flip it back the other way, is that in the end, we'll know who was saved because they're the ones who endured. And I definitely don't mean that ill toward anybody. I love these people I'm thinking about right now, and I'm praying that the Lord will continue to work on their heart and that they'll continue to listen. Paul says that we will share in his sufferings in Philippians 3. Jesus, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verse 10. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, this isn't, this isn't even the first time that Jesus has talked about this. But he's coming back to it again right before he's about to die, right before he's about to go to the cross. 
Jesus talking about the temple was this great thing for the disciples in that moment to think about the temple being torn down. We go back to really thinking about the buildings and the big stones and all that stuff, but the truth is, is Jesus was talking about more than that. Jesus predicts that he himself, the temple, and we have elsewhere in Scripture, where he himself, the temple, will be torn down, and everybody thinks he's talking about buildings, and then rebuilt in three days. Jesus is killed later in the week from this passage and rises from the dead three days later. They wouldn't get it until after the fact. The truth is is that the Romans came and they did tear down the temple in 70 AD. But the temple that they torn down was a temple where sacrifices were made in trying to earn your salvation. Something that seems crazy to us, but the truth is, is that we too fall into that mindset and habit of thinking that like we've got to do certain things for God to love us enough that our salvation would be good or whatever it is. And the truth is, is that our salvation only comes from one place, and it's not from sacrifices that we can make. It's not anything that we can do on our part. It's not about how good we are, how much church we can go to, or anything else. It is literally about Jesus. You see, he was the temple that would be torn down and rebuilt. He is the temple that brings salvation. It is through his death that we can find forgiveness because it's the death that we deserved It's the death that our sin deserved. And Jesus said, I'll take it. I'll take it, and then they can believe in me and trust in me. And that's all we have to do. All all we can do is believe. All we can do is put our trust in Christ. He would be slain on the cross. He would be torn down for you and for me. And that's where the world would find true salvation. Many years ago, we were about to have a baby. This one would be different. We have seven children, and who we would eventually know to be Savannah Ross royalty, who is the epitome of happiness in a child would come into the world, but not without a little bit of fireworks. We were at the house, and night after night, Erin would do what she always did and say things like, we should probably pack our bags, or you should pack your stuff, and I, you know, I never get around to it, you know, as we were going to bed, well, I'll do it later, you know, and uh, in true uh, pregnant Aaron fashion, she wakes me up uh, like an hour or two uh, after I went to sleep and, uh, and says, my water broke. I said, okay, I'm going to get up and start packing my stuff. And so I start packing. She's like, okay, that's fine. I'm just letting you know, I think we've got some time and I really need a shower. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't argue with pregnant Aaron and anything to do with babies, like whatever she says goes, and that's what we do. 
She'd had plenty of kids before. She knows what she's doing. She feels like she's got time for a shower. No questions asked. So I throw some stuff together, and I lay down, and I go back to sleep because she tells me I can, and I'm like, yes. So I go back to sleep, and I am awoken just a short period of time later, and I, I can sleep through a lot of things. I get kids that kick me in the head in the night and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's all good. Uh, but I was awoken by the sounds that were coming from our shower where when I woke up, I thought, ah, that's probably not good. And, uh, and she proceeds to eventually get out of the shower. At this point, I'm sitting on the bed, and she says, uh, we, we got to get there as soon as we possibly can. I said, okay, no problem. Let's, let's get you to the car, and I will, you know, Richard Petty us to the hospital. So get to the car, I Richard Petty to the hospital, um, she is in great pain. Now, my wife has, has uh, uh, they've had to induce her a couple of times, but most of the children have been, burnt, been born by, you know, water breaking, and then we go to the hospital, and all that kind of stuff, including even one false alarm, uh, which they don't just uh, let you have for free. I don't know why. Uh, but uh, but then, uh, then uh, so we get to the hospital, and we get, we get inside, and we get to the little thing, you know, like a little reception desk or whatever, and this lady's like, okay, well, okay, you guys here to have a baby? And I'm like, yeah, you think? And, uh, and, you know, she's not doing so great, and I'm standing at this counter, and she's really wanting us to fill out this paperwork, and I was like, look, I, I know you need some paperwork filled out, but I really think we probably ought to go ahead and get her back. Like, you know, can we, can we, oh, honey, it's okay. You know, people having babies all the time. She'll be all right, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you got to understand, like, my, you know, a lot of people, when they see my wife, they think she's like 11 or something anyway. And so, you know, especially like you should like catch her, like see if you get talk her into like going to Walmart one day with all the kids and her not wearing makeup and just watch the people. And the things that, the, thing, the things that they say to her are pretty interesting too. Uh, you know, and the looks. But uh, anyway, uh, so this lady doesn't know us from Adam, you know, she's, you know, you know, oh, got to do this paperwork. It'll be fine. You got plenty of time. And I was like, no, I really, I really think, you know, really think we need to do something. And finally, this other nurse who's like, just happens to be walking down a hallway and through the reception area, she sees Aaron. Aaron's kind of doing this kind of like, you know, thing. And she comes over and she's like, honey, are you okay? And she said, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm about to have this baby. And she said, do you have any other children? And she said, yes, I have three. And she's like, oh, honey, we're going to take you to the back right now, you know? And so here, so here we go. And this starts this whole, like, crazy, you know, like, next few moments. And so they usher her back, and I'm left, you know, doing paperwork. And then, like, I mean, probably three minutes tops, like, the doors fling open again to this hallway. And this lady's like, Daddy, you got to get back here right now. Just bring that with you, you know? And I'm like, okay, all right, you know? And so, you know, I, I come, and as I turn the corner and look down the hallway, to where I think I'm going to go down to a room or a whatever you call those things with the curtains or something, you know, I, I, I see my wife in a hospital bed, and it is at this point that I realize that all of those sitcom situations of somebody having a baby on TV is like, this can actually happen, and she is gripping this bed, and she is making sounds... And there are nurses on either side, and they are rushing her toward me. And in between us is the elevators. And so then into where the elevators are, and in an elevator, and we go up three floors or something. 
And of course, they take us to like the last room down a hallway or something, you know? And we get there, and one of the nurses actually goes to church here, Heather Steele, who works there at the hospital and has been so gracious to like let us like message her, and she'll always like be there with us. She's been with us for like the majority of our kids being born. You know, she has made it. There is not a doctor in sight. And like, I'm looking at her, and I was like, what do you think? She's like, she's about to have this baby. And I looked at her, and I said, you can deliver this baby, right? And she said, well, I can. I'm just not supposed to. And I was like, well, I think that if you do so, then you need to be the one that gets paid for it and, you know, give, your, give a cut to your boy Justin and, you know, maybe he can fix up his Chevelle a little bit so we can, you know, have some fun. I'm thinking about everybody involved. That was an actual conversation. And so, uh, you know, but anyway, like we're in the room and two minutes later, we got a baby. Now it's beautiful, right? It's a beautiful story. Except for the part where my wife hates pain and loves things like epidurals. There, were, there was no time for epidurals. This was 100% au natural. And the pain, I, I don't even want to ever pretend that like I understand some level of pain that she has experienced that I have not. I think for us to be reminded that suffering is a huge part of this life and that we are called to endure it is such a huge piece for us. I want to read this one passage to you, and then I'm going to close. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 says this, and man, this is a great passage to live by. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. This is not just for preachers, by the way. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I think this falls into some of the false teacher stuff we were talking about. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. We have been called to endure suffering. It's, It's a part of this life. If you don't have any... I can hook you up with plenty of people here who would love for you to share in theirs. For us, Jesus is throughout this passage calling us to not worry. But at the same time, he's saying be ready to suffer. Knowing that we can trust in God's plan for all the things of our lives and even in this world, as crazy as they may get that he's still king and he's still sitting on his throne. There's more to come. There's more to come. There is a kingdom to be ushered in. Jesus will come back. But for now, we are to remember this thing. 
that Jesus himself said, the one who endures till the end will be saved. The one who endures till the end will be saved. Let's pray together. God, I pray that if there is one person listening to this right now that hasn't trusted you with their whole life, God, I pray that you would just speak to their heart right now. God, I pray that you would help them right now to trust in you and to see that you are the answer. God, we need you to help us to endure. We cannot do this on our own, and we know that. We know that you will give us things that we can't handle, and God, we know that we must rely on you for those things because you're the one that can. God, lead us as your people to be light into this world that we would project the love of Christ everywhere we go in everything we do. God, help us. Help us to endure. Help anyone that hasn't trusted in you to be their Savior. God, to believe. Lord, thank you for what you've done through your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.